Hi everyone and welcome to the Unbranded Podcast with Miss Dean Loves You. I am so excited for you to listen to this episode. It was truly a joy, so much fun, and time flew by talking to Ariel. You know her as Mrs. Frazzled on TikTok and Instagram and you know her as one of the hosts of Teacher Quit Talk. We had so much fun. She is just as delightful in person. She is just as delightful talking to as you would imagine from the videos that she puts out. I do want to give you a warning, a trigger warning though. We do talk pretty extensively about our personal experiences with eating disorders, disordered eating, and what recovery has been looking like for us over the course of our lives. So if you're in a space where that is not a safe topic for you to explore or listen to, or it might bring up some icky feelings, go ahead and skip this episode. I hope you guys have just as much fun as I did. Before we get started, obviously, okay. I think the most important thing is to chug Naturally. a beer. I know that where you are, it is 11 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. But it's Couldn't... 5 o'clock somewhere. It, hell yeah. N- no, I mean, I'm can we pass on this one? Hell yeah. Okay, okay. Just check this. I want to be, be candid with you and let you know that, did you see the original um, How to Shotgun a Beer video I posted? No. No, it was based off of you. <laughs> because when I was on your podcast and yeah. you tried to shotgun that beer, You're you didn't so- pop the tab. And I was so annoyed. I, I don't like, do anything well, with it. I wasn't I wasn't annoyed. I just felt so bad because I knew that the liquid was probably flowing so slowly and the amount of sucking effort you were putting in was probably astronomical. <laughs> I'm thrilled that you're here to teach me your ways because when I was in high school, it was just as heinous. And like, I would, I think I knew to pop the tab back then. Cause once you said pop the tab, something in my brain was like, oh, I recall this. However, I would still not be able to finish it because I just would sit, I would walk around the party like this and be like, okay, we're drinking you're out of so cute. In a mess. But you're here to it's fix all- it. I am here to fix it. It's all with, when it comes to the chugging part, it's mind over matter. Okay. So I'm going to take this step by step with you. Okay. Don't go ahead. I won't. <laughs> Don't go ahead. Um, I took my okay, ADHD so meds. I'm ready to listen. Is that going to interact poorly with the alcohol? I don't think so, but I'm not supposed to drink on my antidepressant, but I don't know anybody who follows. I'm going to make sure. I'm just going to go through from beginning to okay. end. You I'm going to put my beer down gonna... so I can and fold my hands so I can listen. <laughs> We're Spoons gonna... and bowl. Oh, is that a kindergarten thing? Yeah. That would be in my lap, though. But yeah. <laughs> We're going to rotate the can so that the tab is facing downward. Okay. That's going to make it easy to pop mm. quickly. Okay? Okay. So just positioning right now. Feel around the bottom for the air pocket. That's oh. Kind of the har- That's kind of the hard part. You, I, I never really know if I'm actually feeling the air pocket, but it's usually, like, down at the bottom. It's like squishy. Yeah. It's more squishy than the other parts. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, when you put your canine into this can, stuff's going to spew out. Don't make a joke. I won't. You have to suck up that immediate burst of beer. Okay. And it's it's important to suck it up quick. Don't. We're not going to pop at the same time. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. For, I'm sorry for being overbearing. Please, no. This is great. 
Okay, so we have to suck it up immediately because we don't want people watching us to be like, oh my gosh, she didn't really shotgun that beer. Look at all the beer that fell out in the, right? Okay, so it's all about fooling people. Okay, so canine, sometimes you have to do it a couple of times and then suck it. Would you like me to demonstrate first? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I brought two cans just in case I mess this up. I'll go downstairs if I need another. Okay, great. So now I have an itty bitty hole. Uh-huh. Um it's itty bitty. Yeah. We don't want an itty bitty hole because we wanna we wanna impress people by how quickly we can chug this. And we do that with a big hole. So you have to very gingerly well, do you want to bite into your can first? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You and incredible. Thank you. Incredible. And um, I have my bitty okay. hole and my acrylics are ready to puncture. Okay, but be very, very, very careful. If you feel like you might not be able to do it, use a tool because the night before my wedding, I was way too drunk and trying to impress <laughs> people. I sliced my finger open. There was blood everywhere. Aye, aye, aye. Okay. <gasps> and then at as you are as you are opening the hole, um, bend the tin inwards so that sharp edges don't get into like your gums and stuff. Totes, totes. Oh, there we go. How big's your hole? Oh, it's okay. I see. I see. Uh, like the fact a, that I can see it. It's like size. big. Okay. Yeah. This is a lot of prep work. Who knew? I know. Shit. I'm going to have to shotgun. I keep saying it's the last time I'm ever going to shotgun a coffee, but now that I have this technique, I have to. Uh, okay. Okay. Again for the people. okay. Now this is where we're going to get ready for go time. You're okay. going to put your mouth on the hole and then you're going to pop the tab at the same time. It's going to be one fluid motion. Okay. And you know this already. As soon as you pop the tab, you need to tilt the can so that the beer goes through the right hole. Sure. 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 I'm going to prep it because my acrylics are going to. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure how you get through things mentally, but for me, I kind of just count to seven in my mind, and through those mm -hmm. seven seconds, I am completely disassociated from my body. Amazing! I cannot, <laughs> I, cannot, I cannot think about how cold it is or isn't. I can't think about how it tastes. I just have to, once I get to seven, then I can feel all the feelings. But during We're in labor time, again. We're having a baby again. Yes. It's the same yes, technique. Precisely. Would you like to do this together, or would you like to do this one at a time? Let's do it together. Why not? Okay. You ready? YOLO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three, two, one. Can I see your hole? Do you feel? Oh, I did. did you do it? You finished the whole thing. I did, and it was so much easier. There was no the sucking. Hole? It was flowing. No, it just flows in. Yep. It's the hole, and it's the tab popping that were your problems. That was remarkable. You are a masterclass. I, I feel honored that I was able to teach you this skill, and I cannot wait for you to share it with the world. Oh my god. Now you can gosh. go to parties and just be like absolutely feral.
Hell yeah. People will look at you and be like, who is this psychopath? But they're also going to be absolutely wowed. Wow. They're going to be frazzle-dazzled. Frazzled? I'm going to give them the old frazzle-dazzled. I love motherhood. (laughs) I know. I know. I loved motherhood, too, because um, I just always – there's – this is what, like, my MILF era is. Hell yeah. It's not about changing who you are because you're Mm -hmm. a mom now. It's maintaining the cool with a yes. buddy and that's yes. why I'm still and that's why I'm still shotgunning beers and shotgunning beers with my kids because I want that kid to grow up and be like look at my dope ass mom shotgunning a beer with me in her arms absolutely no I think it's so much fun to just be who you are and have so much fun and show your kids that because it's just like yeah. we should show our kids authentic joy like whatever that is to us and there's yeah. plenty of people in this world who will be like oh my god She's shotgunning a beer and she has a baby, but like, it's not like we've had eighteen beers. Like, I know. Like, oh know? my gosh, I know. I'm it's not hammered holding my baby. Yeah, it's like let's not be dramatic. Like it's really okay, and it's also important to model like moderation and like knowing your limits and like sharing like, hey, mommy maybe didn't always make the best decisions, but we learned, and here's how I'm gonna impart my wisdom onto you, yes. my, my little one. So, like, yes. I don't know. I think that wasn't modeled for me growing up. So I had to find out a lot of stuff on my own. Mm. And I just love the idea of being like, Jay, we're going we're gonna to teach you everything mommy knows. Good, yes. bad, ugly. I appreciate that you're doing that with Jay. My mom did that with me. And I feel very lucky because she was so radically honest with me mm-hmm. while I was a child and in middle school about questions that I had in her own experiences. And as a result... I was, I I always felt very confident to come to her with questions or issues that I had that were very sensitive. Mm -hmm. And I, I knew so much from her that I I never kept anything from her. She always knew when I was like going to a party or when I was sleeping over someone's house, but lying to my dad. And because I had that relationship and that foundation, I never, um, I, I never just like, I never snuck out. I never got super drunk. I never, like, I I didn't do any of the traditional high school bad things because I I knew I had that touchstone in her. And I think that Jay will experience the same thing. I hope so because from what I've, obviously I don't know, like, the intimate details of you and your mother's relationship, but I feel like from the conversations we've had, it seems like you have a very beautiful relationship even now. Like, when you talk about leaving teaching Several times I was editing the, the episode of the podcast, my podcast that you were on, and a couple times you were just like, yeah, my mom and I talked about it, and then it's like this huge life decision that you made, and it's like, I just yeah. want that. Like, that's so wonderful. It is, and there is a line to toe um, because you you want to be a mom and a friend, but you don't necessarily want to be way too much of one or the other. And so that can be very difficult. Um, so we have to be mindful of that. And I don't, I don't know what my relationship is going to be with Hawthorne. I'm sure it's going to be very different because I don't have a girl. But at the same time, in the same breath, it was a little bit more difficult because sometimes our relationship did veer more towards friendship. And then I felt almost like more of a responsibility for my mom. And for the things that might have been going on that I shouldn't have been concerned about because I was a child. But overall, the honesty 
I think absolutely changed my trajectory and my, my behavior. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I'm so glad that you mentioned that too, because it's a thought that I've had, like growing up with my mom, she was always like, I am your mother, not your friend. And I, I went the opposite direction where like, I very much internalized that. And I, now we have a really lovely relationship, but it was not like that until I moved 2,500 miles away from home. And we developed it, but you know, I there is that line to toe, and it's something that I think about a lot. But I think you know, I think I've said this on, I think we've talked about this before. But because we're not perfect, like I know that I'm not a perfect person, so I'm going to make mistakes, and I'm just gonna try to take off of her cues and do the best I can but right now I'm like she's only eight and a half months old like you don't have to think about that right now but it's hard not to you know you project so much into the future I know oh I mean we can say this over and over again um we're gonna fuck up our kids mistakes Mm -hmm. are gonna be made the true growth and learning and relationship building comes in the repair comes from making a mistake making a mistake hurting doing something that's not aligned with our values, but then coming back to our kid and saying, listen, I did something wrong. Mm -hmm. This is what I did. This is how it made you feel. And this is what I'm going to do in the future. And obviously that not only models how to handle failure for your kids, but it also shows your kid how much, um, I think, how, how much you value their relationship with you. You're not just going to gloss over it or sweep it under the rug. And, and then it humanizes us as well. So I'm just leaning on that as long as I am mindful, aware of what's going on with my actions and how it's affecting my child and being able to come back and repair. I think that it doesn't, I will fuck him up, but I'll fuck him up a lot less than, than I would otherwise. Totally. And how many parallels? I don't know about you, but when you I was when I was listening to you talk about that, I was drawing so many parallels to teaching and like authentic relationship building and guiding our students through that because I was a big proponent of restorative justice and restorative conversations over like traditional PBIS because I feel like having those restorative conversations with students while they're in conflict with one another and living that out through my relationships with colleagues, parents, any stakeholders, and students themselves really was what set me apart as a teacher because I may have not always had the best pedagogy or management. I may have made, you know, whatever, you know, we're all growing as teachers, but I always prided, I always had a lot of pride in how my relationships were so strong. And it really just comes from living that out. And it's really something I cherish from my time teaching. Teaching, I think, and I'll, I'll see I'll see this as I start to actually parent. I don't feel like I'm parenting right now. I feel like I'm keeping someone alive. Absolutely. I think, that, <laughs> I think that teaching definitely gave me a lot of practice in what it's like to be a parent, especially in that regard in the relationship building. I felt, I remember the day that I decided to just be honest about my shortcomings and my failures to my students. And I felt so much liberation because I, I just had this light bulb moment where I was like, if I'm honest about what I'm going through, things that didn't go so well up front, um, 
one, on a teacher level, my kids will usually have more grace with me on that day. And two, they'll see how that it's okay to not be perfect and on all the time and how to manage that in professional situations and where those professional situations are and, and that it's okay to like feel really bad one day and just be off your game and, but still try your best and not be, um, not be totally off because of it, but work alongside it. Anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think teaching gives us a lot of insight into, into parenting, especially you as a kindergarten teacher. Yeah. Well, you too. I mean, I'm not going to know what the heck to do when I get to the big kids, quote unquote, you know? Oh yeah. I Mm. feel, I feel prepared. My midwife kept saying, Oh, just wait until they're teenagers. I was like, Elizabeth, I got the teenagers. I got the teenage angst. I got, Mm. I got all of the questions about life and the inner turmoil and the hardship. I can handle both when when they're learning the sounds of letters or when they're having trouble um under having empathy and understanding other people's viewpoints that's where i'm not really sure how to do anything you'll be surprised be how much overlap part. there is truly like when i taught theater okay. to middle and high schoolers and we were having these conversations when i entered the kindergarten classroom i was like whoa, there is a lot of the same stuff going on here, actually. And, like, honoring that and, like, giving it the full, like, importance and weightiness that I gave to middle schoolers and high schoolers, even though it was, like, sometimes the most trivial things, it really makes a difference. I think you'll be surprised. Well, yeah, because it's big to them. Yeah, it's all they know. Speaking speaking of theater, um, you were in theater in high school weren't you? Yes, I was very heavily involved in theater, yeah. I want to know about Fraz in high school. Oh my gosh, Who Fraz. is Fraz? Who is Fraz in high school outside of, outside of the Fraz that we know now? I, I will say theater kids are my favorite students. Oh, they, well, I claim that still to this day, so thank you very much. I don't know if they would be my favorite students, even though I taught them. I just They would come to my room after school for a couple hours, and I'd be like, you guys. Well, of course they Clearly, because you spend your whole day, like, containing your personality, basically, and then they come into their safe space of theater, and it's like, boom, and it's like, oh, I need coffee at 2 p.m. to to be with you but it was it was super fun um so in high school I was I think there was like this duality to me in high school hang on there got a ding ding um there was like this duality going on in high school where I was simultaneously going through like a lot of like behind the scenes like my biological dad and I were like having a a severance in our relationship and my dad who like I my stepdad who like has become my dad through life he ended up adopting me as an adult actually um it was really beautiful I remember my first father's day I was like I have a dad it's so cool they like change your birth certificate and I know that's very controversial as like an infant for adoption but as an adult who chose that I felt like that was huge it was a big day um so like we celebrate my gotcha day, even though I was like 26 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's really awesome. fun. Yeah. So anywho, so he was he was diagnosed with heart disease. So like he was having a lot of heart attacks, and you know, as a family, we were kind of grappling with that. And I had to 
bad relationship with my mom and all this home stuff was going on. So there was like that section of my life. And um, then there was school. And school was both an escape and a time where that was kind of highlighted, where like I was, I was going through a lot of like bullying from like certain groups. But then I found this like refuge in theater where I was able to like I think I told you I would skip I would skip class and it wasn't even a discussion with my teachers I just wouldn't show up and the principals would find me like painting sets in the auditorium or like taking a nap on the stage and like it was so um just like important to me to be able to have that element of myself and then after school from 4 to 10 p.m every single day and from 9 to 4 on Saturdays I would go to theater school after school and I would be like my senior year I was in 11 productions not all of them necessarily great but they were you know what I did um all the time and I took a gap year and I spent a gap year after high school traveling to New York City and taking classes um because with my father like having all his heart attacks I missed audition season and if you're a theater kid going to college for theater you kind of like you need that um and NYU rejected me because my grades were abysmal so I auditioned at all of the studios that NYU partners with for their musical theater and theater programs to be like they want me see they want me independently of you (laughs) um so I was going through like all of this but theater was like such such a central like the glue that held me together in high school and It was after high school that I really, um, I don't know, like I started to branch outside of theater. Like once I got into college and I kind of had a safe space with my community in general and I started to make really real friends, I started to be like, do I really need this element of myself and I started to look into pre-med and teaching which had always been in the back of my mind and Um, ultimately ended up going back to theater for several more years, but it was like this very transformative time where I was able to like let my frontal lobe develop a little bit and kind (laughs) of separate myself from when I moved to LA in 2013, I was like finally out of like the traumatic environment that I was in and able to start unpacking that through therapy and discovering myself. And it was just such like a beautiful like season and decade really of transformation that I went through and I just loved that but like it was really interesting how theater was like my little central thing for so long you know and that kind of like takes Fraz from baby Fraz to like the beginning of really the pandemic I mean I was still I'm still I still consider myself a work in progress now you know you want me to take a theater kid in school. You were doing theater outside of school as well. You're like one of those kids yeah. that does sports and then does club sports. Yeah, exactly. Like I went to quote unquote like theater school, but it was an after school theater school. Um, and I, I was an independent study like art student. So I went, you know, I had like additional credits that I could take outside of school. Um, mm-hmm. So I was like kind of doing that. It was weird. Did you? It was fun. Well, you said teaching had always been in the back of your mind, but my original question was going to be, what role did theater play? Because you were like, you were committed to theater, and then you were continuously committed to theater in college. 
So where did, was that just a method of coping and having a safe space or was there something there that you potentially wanted to pursue maybe when you were younger? Definitely. I think it was both. Um, I got my first class of two year old when I was 17 years old and I was teaching ballet and dance and musical theater to, well, I first had my two year olds in dance. And then on the weekends I would teach little musical theater camp and I was like a choreographer's assistant and I wasn't like the best dancer in the world, but I was a pretty good teacher. So I, um, you know, I worked really hard at my dance, but it just wasn't something that like, especially with my undiagnosed ADHD, I could never and mine's pretty, pretty severe to be completely candid. Um, but I couldn't go into a, a dance class and I couldn't dance competitively because they would teach me the, the, the combo in the class. And there was just no way that with one time of seeing a combo, I could ever repeat, repeat it back. And when you get to a certain level of dance, there is that expectation of like, we're going to show you this once you're going to remember it and you're going to do it. But when I had my notes, uh, cause when you're a a choreographer's assistant you're like making what they call the bible and you like write and you take notes on everybody's part and I was really good at that and I was really good at going back and teaching it later so that was kind of my first foray into teaching and I realized I really liked it I mean I wanted to be a teacher when I was in preschool um and then just as I became more and more involved in theater there was this element of like well what else will I do? Like, I kind of got it into my mind that this was my path. Uh, this was my goal, my career goal. And I was also surrounded by a lot of people who they, um, they would like talk down about people who weren't pursuing theater that were very involved in theater. It was like, if you can't hack it in theater, you would do something else. And because I found so much of my worth within theater, that was hard for me where I was like, I'm going to do this, but it didn't make me happy. It didn't like fulfill me the way that I knew I needed to be fulfilled really. Um, So it was like this parallel world. And then I obviously, when I went to college, I was nannying. um, I was teaching Shakespeare for many years And I just loved it. But there was still this element of like something missing. I would always see the classroom teachers and be like, I really want that. Like I want to have my class and I want to teach. And I want to like be really in it. And being like a special teacher or an after school teacher kind of left me wanting a little bit. So I ended up going back to school to get my teaching credential and kind of quitting the nonprofit. Was it hard to make the decision to kind of do a 180 and go back to school after you had kind of an established career and or passion and routine in theater? It was a little bit of a relief, actually. Oh. I was not making money like there was a time when I called my mom and I was like do people really make two thousand dollars a month and she was like what the hell are you talking about and I was like well I (laughs) I was like I just couldn't imagine it because I wasn't at the time I was still in my parents health insurance thank god but like I didn't I worked in a nonprofit. I worked at theater, but in LA, I don't know about the rest of the world, but in the time that I was working in LA, it was very common for you to do a show for free for quote unquote experience. 
So I was trying to do a day job and do theater at night. And I didn't really like doing um, film because part of my like neurodivergency is like I have a lot of, if you met me in person, you'd notice like I have a lot of trouble making eye contact. Um, So for film, that's a big issue because you have to maintain your eye line. And I just have a lot of trouble doing that. Um, so that's the more lucrative thing, you know, um, and people in LA would always say like success in theater or acting is paying your rent with your craft. And I just, I was struggling to do it. I was having a lot of trouble with auditioning. I started to have panic attacks in auditions and on stage. Oh, in, in auditions, not before. Yeah, no. So during. when I would be dancing on stage, I would there was a show where I collapsed three times because I was so weak from a panic. If you had a panic attack, they're always a little different, but like mine manifested as like dizziness and tunnel vision and like shakiness and weakness. And like, I couldn't stand when that would happen during, and I was before meds, this is before diagnoses. I didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, so I was really frustrated by that and I just knew that it wasn't fulfilling me to go to audition because auditioning is your job when you're an actor your job is to go get continually rejected and every once in a while you get that thing and I would see my friends with this like undying passion and love for acting and I just didn't it didn't fill me up that way and I wanted to teach and this is a I know that I'm like a political being and this is a little political but the the night of the 2016 ele- election when Donald Trump was declared uh, the winner, I was teaching in East LA theater and I knew that my students' parents were afraid because a lot of my parents were here without papers. And I, when he won, I said, fuck this, I'm teaching. And I slammed the bedroom door and I immediately quit my job and applied to uh, teaching the teaching program I ended up doing and meeting my very best friends in but I it took that moment and then the next day when half of my class didn't show up I was so affirmed I was like this is awful and like all I want to do is continue to work with my community and be with my students but I want to be a safe space for them because it's very evident to me that the system is not serving them and it's not serving anybody it's not serving anybody and I wanted to be that change in the space so I was like I'm done and it was such a relief I remember texting my friends and being like do you judge me do you think I'm a failure and they were like honey I don't mean to be rude but I don't think about you at all like I'm thinking about my journey I want you to be happy but I don't give a shit if you are in theater or teaching or whatever you're doing like they were like, I love you because you're you, but not because you're on the same right. journey as me in my career. And I was like, duh, like that kind of makes so much sense, I but I just, it hadn't occurred to me, you know? I wish we kept that at the forefront more often that we are not on other people's radars. Everybody is the main character of their own life and they don't care about us as much as we think in the best way possible and in the most liberating way possible. I know that you also had a lot of anxiety around safety in schools as a teacher, me too. I think I told you I had like two bomb threats the last month of our last school. Parkland is very, very close to where I teach and live. So it was very present in my mind. And have you thought about how you want to school baby J? Yeah, I go back and forth all the time because I, 
in my mind want to homeschool her at least as long as I have knowledge of the curriculum and I have enough of a mommy community around me that I know I could get her the socialization that she deserves. Mm -hmm. But in the long run, like I do want her to go to school. I want her to have that experience very badly. I know. Sorry. It can be really hard. Now that we're here, actually, I'm going to change gears again because I want to talk about you as a mom. I remember when you first had Jay, you mentioned that you always dreamed of being a mom, always wanted to be a mom. Can you tell me more about that? I come from a different perspective, so I'd love for you to share. I would love to talk about this. Yeah, no, I, since the, I think the moment I became conscious, I wanted to be a mommy. Um, And I was in a single parent home for a while there. Um, my mom was a nurse. She worked night shift, but I just still to this day, my most treasured memories are of me and my mom in this teeny tiny little house together when it was just us before she met my dad, before she had my brothers. And it was just the best. And I have always wanted to be a mom I was always like taking care of littler kids than me and I remember in preschool I I always said I want to teach the big kids and those were the kindergartners at the time and I just I don't know it was there was always something about being a caretaker to me and certainly as I progressed through my life and like the aforementioned like struggles I had in my own childhood um coupled with some other things I was really like again, just desiring to be that safe space for a child. And as a mom now, it's just such an honor to get to know her and like try to serve her the best I can as her parent because, you know, she didn't ask to be born, but I really do want her to just have, like I want to be the best parent I can for her. Um, So I'm, I'm loving it. She's like literally a dream come true for me. So do you think that that, such a strong desire to be a mom growing up has made the transition to being a mother easier for you? I do. I do. And I think also like as a kindergarten teacher, you are a caretaker for so many children every day that there's a certain, I was talking to my friend and she called it like a threshold level of like bullshit. She was like, you can deal with so many things at one time that like, It's just to me, like when things would pop off with Jay or like, you know, there's something going on that I need to handle. I'm just like, oh, well, this is this is what it is. And I just do it. And I don't really feel any type of like remorse or like animosity towards it. But um, it does in a different way make it very difficult for me to go out or do other things. And uh, I definitely like have started to kind of forget myself as a person and really just mm. have been zoned in on like mommyhood and that yeah. I can already tell like it's going to be an issue oh. for me. Are you like the only mom in your group? No, I have one of my best friends has two kids now, her and her daughter. Her daughter is the same age as Jay pretty much, like a few oh. weeks apart. They are You said that's one of your best so friends. You could cute. be 
you were able to be pregnant together. I know. It was really special. I think that's special. And the other best friend of mine has a son that's six months older than Jay. We were pregnant together for okay. a brief stint, obviously. Right. And we're, like, already taught. He is going to be the oldest in his grade. So they're going to be in the same year. So we're already talking about, like, classes they can take together. It's super fun. So I do, I do have friends who are moms, and that has been everything. Oh, I know. I think that the only, one of the only reasons why I am so laid back and have been so laid back is I also have um, pretty debilitating anxiety. And I always anticipated throughout my pregnancy that once I gave birth, my postpartum would be just a train wreck because I, I was convinced that I was going to have postpartum depression and anxiety. And it was such a blessing to watch so many of my friends be pregnant, give birth, and raise their own babies for a couple of months before I gave birth to mine because that kind of normalized bringing around and being with kids and seeing the the parents that I know are just very laid back in general. So they were like my only model of parents of babies. And so I could see, I watched things that weren't really a big deal to them then translating into things not being a big deal for me. So I was much more able to tune into my own intuition and go with the flow and enjoy being a mom more than what I expected, which was going to be like an overwhelming frenzy of being scared of taking my baby out, people meeting my baby, overanalyzing every sneeze, cough, spit up, burp, hiccup. There was a little while where I was like, should my baby be hiccuping this much? It's it's amazing, like, the tiny things that we get worked up about. My husband but... did the same thing. He was like, why is she hiccuping so much? And I was like, baby, just Google it. Like, don't take my word for it. It's okay. It's all good. But it is. So it's a, an you... alarming amount. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad it wasn't just my kid. Near the end, I felt him hiccuping a lot So in in, in utero. So I figured it was just, like, a personality trait. I don't know. And I my know husband hiccups hiccup a lot, lot too. So I was like, baby, she's your okay. child. But yeah, yeah in utero, I, she what... was also very hiccupy. <laughs> Robbie was, Robbie's also like, Susie, you hiccup all the time. It's totally fine. He's, he's your kid. And there's, there's so much to learn about your relationship as well, obviously, when you Girl. have a kid and yeah. how that changes. Oh, like bananas level. I mean, we are very fortunate. We have a wonderful therapist, but and we have like a really good oh, family together? support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got that when we moved in together, because I and him both come from like families that were divorced or had really unhealthy dynamics in general, and we didn't really have like a model for a healthy relationship. But when I started dating him, my friends were like, "If you fuck this one up, we are disowning you." you must go like bye because I I would have this constant fear of like waiting for the other shoe to drop because he was so stable and like loyal and kind and I was not used to that I was used to utter chaos and toxicity and abuse in my relationships so I was always and I have OCD and it manifests in relationships in general so that's how my man my OCD is so good Lord Almighty, I mean, my friends, and I said this at my wedding, my friends carried me on their backs for the first month of our relationship, for not the first month, the first year of our relationship. Wow. 
And we got a therapist together because it was just once we moved in together, the stakes got higher and my anxiety mm-hmm. spiked. And it just yeah. was the greatest thing just to be like every time we go in just being like every time we would have a fight, which isn't often, like maybe every four months, we'll go in and like unpack it and like talk about everything. It was just like a boot camp in relationship building. It was really cool. Yeah. I'm so grateful that you do that. I found we we haven't found a therapist together, but we did do a lot of marriage mentorship before we got married. So grateful. Recommend recommend this kind of stuff to everybody because people it seems like at least what I'm seeing with my friends or had seen in the past is that so many people kind of are just going into marriage because they had such a great relationship and that was the next step and things worked out. So why won't they continue to work out? And they don't realize that you're two very different people coming from very different backgrounds, expectations, values, and priorities and traditions. And those things need to be hashed out and talked through. And if you're not taking the perspective of your partner of being someone that is wildly different from you and then accommodating for that in the way that you speak to each other and treat each other and handle your relationship it's just going to be a shit show you're going to be constantly missing each other so were you and Arun on the same page about keeping baby jay off the internet no he really didn't care um but he also doesn't have the full scope of understanding of like what why but he was very much like yeah of course but we yeah we you know he kind of deferred to me for that and never really questioned it It wasn't really a discussion um but when I she was on stage at a comedy show and he was very like whoa like she's on stage like why why didn't you text me why didn't you ask me and I was like I didn't think about it like she's not well yeah well, he also like deferred to you yeah and like to me me posting her to a million followers and him being like well whatever you want to do versus me having her on stage at a comedy show with 2,000 people I was like I think the 2,000 people where I'm not showing her face like she was asleep on on a shoulder so I was like I thought that was better but I I don't know like oh yeah but it was interesting so where did that decision come from I see that a lot more people are being mindful of their children on the internet well I think that's super respectable yeah I mean the first thing that happened when I got pregnant hang on let me get her down before the first thing that happened when I got pregnant was somebody told me to uh that they hope I have a miscarriage because she is mixed race and (gasps) they told me that they didn't understand why I was not um married to a white guy and immediately was I was. This, was this a comment? Was this a DM? These were comments on my personal Instagram before Multiple I went private. Mm-hmm. Personal. This wasn't even on Miss Frazzled. This was on. No, this was an eight-week-old ultrasound. And this was. These were multiple. People. Yeah, and then on TikTok things emerged too. Once they saw my wedding, um, and I was just like, you know what? I was already not going to post her, but completely fuck this you guys lost the privilege of that because I don't even like the fact that she can google her mother and see the hateful things that people say about me and it bothers me when people refer to me by name when they talk shit about me when they say fraz blank 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 
a part of me is like, that's not me. Because honestly, I, like I said, like I have a really wide network of friends and family that I love and care about and know who I am. And if I was doing anything fucked up, they would check me because that's our relationship. So these strangers on the internet who don't know anything, it's like they're talking about a character. But when they found out my name and they would refer to me by name, it bothered me a lot. So that's immediately I was like, I'm not sharing her name either because I don't want her to find her name or, and I didn't think that I could handle it if they said shit about my child. Um, even if she would never see it, I knew that I couldn't handle it. Um, so I just totally kept her off. And I've only been thankful of that given the things that people say about people's babies and kids and like, not only like, the things I have issue with that people post are the things that are not dignifying. I feel like that is a big issue. If I wouldn't want it posted about, if I wouldn't want it posted about myself, I don't want it on the internet about my baby. And that includes like, you know, all kinds of things. If I don't want myself crying or looking ugly on the internet, I'm not going to post my baby doing it either, you know? But, um, so I just really want her to like look because, you know, in kindergarten, people would see their pictures that their parents posted and it would be like if they didn't have the right outfit on or they were like semi-clothed, my five-year-old students would be like, mommy, I don't look, I don't have pants on. You know, like even though you're a baby, like they still think the same. So I was like, you know, I, even though it would be like me as the parent making the decision, I, I I just couldn't do it to her. And, you know, obviously I've always been a long standing proponent of like teachers not posting their kids. Um, Cause like, that's not a parent. You're not a parent. You can't make that decision. You can't even debate that decision because it's not your kid. I agree. I agree. So yeah, that was like a lot of stuff going into why I keep her off the internet. I think that's really, um, respectable because you're anticipating her future in making that decision and taking into account her feelings, emotions, and potential experiences. Say, oh my God, I couldn't imagine. No. I couldn't imagine if they Yeah. Did. And like this speculation of like what her name is or isn't doesn't really bother me. I'm, and I'm also not like some people are like, I could see her for 15 seconds on a freaking podcast on YouTube. And I'm like, Guys, I'm not throwing a bag over my child's head. Like, at the end of the day, like, I'm not going to be like, you perceived her for 15 seconds. That's not what it's about to me. <laughs> it's it's not that I'm, like, having her in hiding or going to, like, f- give somebody a cease and desist if they figure out her name. Like, I'm not that frantic about it. I just want her to have privacy and dignity. And, like, right. those things are, like pretty easy to pretty easy to maintain you know I agree yeah and I only recently found out about how creepy people are about babies on TikTok I baby feet the the amount of saves that people will have on like videos that feature baby feet I always make sure ever since I saw that I cover Hawthorne's feet with some kind of like gif or picture I had no idea it didn't even cross my mind because we're not sick fucks, you know? I know. I know. It wouldn't have crossed my mind either. You consider Fraz like a character. 
So in a way, yeah, which I totally get and see, but I do also see you on TikTok as someone that's very authentic and relatable. You feel like a friend. Thank you. So, so I don't know, was that intentional to be authentic? I mean, I'm sure you didn't plan to gain the, the following that you have. Maybe it was always meant to be. It's really interesting. Hang on. Let me put her down on her wall. Um, when I was starting social media, I, I when I started teaching, I was constantly like comparing myself to other teachers that were social media famous. I wanted to be like them. I was looking at the, I know, I was looking at the Ron Clark Academy and I was like, I want to do room transformations. I want to do this. I want to do that. And then when I got into the classroom, I was like, I'm a failure. Like I can't do anything. And I wanted to provide like a different perspective that didn't seem to exist at the time on Instagram. So when I found TikTok, I immediately found teachers there and I wasn't really finding my place. (laughs) I know. Does that make you happy now? Uh, She wanted to look out the window. Who knew? Not me. (laughs) um so I I started to be like wow TikTok is like a very TikTok is a very like authentic platform to me and at least it used to be I found that it was very much more authentic than Instagram was at the time so I was like really drawn to it but I still don't think that I brought like my full self to the space because I was still trying to be like a teacher on TikTok and I wanted to be that version of myself that I was in the classroom with my kids because I just I don't know I didn't want to show like my off-duty self really but I don't know about you but once I became pregnant I stopped giving any fucks like I couldn't be bothered I was so sick the year sucked like it was just a shitty year at school and on top of it I was like all I'm living for is my baby right now and my family and my friends and like offline life. So like bringing anything like bringing my full self to the social media space also didn't seem like that big of a deal. And I think that kind of gave me this like hubris where I was like, you know, I'm being authentic. So people will appreciate that. But what I didn't realize at the time was that people will use your authenticity against you just as often as people will use your authenticity to relate to you and really see themselves in you. So it got to a it got to a point where I was authentic, but shit wasn't always great and the things that hit the For You page were not me talking about positive things. Over and over again, the For oh. You page would gobble up anytime I was upset or crying or stressed out because that's the stuff that people were grabbing on to, especially as teacher quit talk perked up. So as, it po- as that was going on, my content about the struggles of the school system was was constantly being pushed. So people who followed me pretty religiously were like, I don't understand what anybody's talking about. Like, what do you mean? You're so authentic, but you share the good and the bad. I feel like you're so positive. But people who didn't were very much, were very much like, Fraz is so negative. I hate now that she's pregnant. She's so different. And really it was just like, 
I wasn't able to strike a balance yet of being authentic while also being mindful of what I was putting on the internet. I was being completely transparent where what I realized was people don't actually want that. There are people who do, but the general population does not actually want that. Yeah. They want to have a parasocial relationship with the version of you that they've created in their head. So something I talk about a lot now, especially in like business meetings is like how I protect my peace, stay authentic, but also hold on to a part of myself that not everyone gets to see unless they actually know me. So I want people to feel like they know me and I never want to be fake. That's one thing I don't think I'm capable of doing. But at the same time, I'm not going to share every piece of myself or my life because it's just not worth it. It sounds like you experimented with a lot of different ways of presenting yourself on social media and have finally settled on a on a final decision, essentially. For now. I mean, I don't think anything is ever final with the way that we present ourselves or the way that we are. You know, we're always in flux as people, and that goes just the same for how we are on social media and all kinds of things. But, you know, social media is also always changing. And the things that people want to see are always changing. And right now you're seeing a lot of, like, vlogging content is very popular at least on the side of tiktok where i've been and i don't know how i i want to find my place in that but i'm also not that sold on it for my own personal journey but you know it's something that i can continue to assess because as much as people want to say that influencing isn't a job i'm working 50 hours a week in this and i get paid the same amount of money that i did as a teacher to do this shit all day (laughs) and it's like I love it but you're working in marketing you know you are a marketer and in acting the type of actors that get booked on commercials are called commercial actors so you're a commercial actor you're a marketing department you're a brand like you're doing all this shit it just happens to be your face that you're marketing so you have to kind of be smart about it and I've definitely learned a lot along the way so I wouldn't say I've like settled on one thing, but I'm really prioritizing real relationships versus people on the internet getting access to every part of my life. I don't know. It's like a weird moment for me. I don't know if you identify as this, but I see you and what you're doing as you are like a very good businesswoman. You are very good at monetizing and creating things out of out of seemingly small things and I really admire that about you and I'm sure I mean I'm sure you didn't anticipate that social media influencing would end up being a full-time gig for you but I'm really proud of and really admire that you have fallen into it and just hit the ground running and now not only are you doing TikTok, social media, you're now on YouTube with the podcast, and you started the podcast, and you've also always had merch, and then you're doing the Patreon, and I think that's so cool to witness you seeing opportunities and grabbing them, because I think also, I don't know if you feel this way, but it can be hard 
with having a large following on social media to not feel imposter syndrome, which I absolutely do. And so for so long, I was just like, well, why would I make clothes? Or who would want to care about what I have to say on a podcast? Or why would I charge higher rates for brands that reach out to me? I only have this many followers. And I think that held me back a lot. And I think it's so great that you have developed a stream of income that has allowed you to stay home with Jay and and really market yourself and take advantage of not only this time in your life, but also like this time in the world where social media is so lucrative for so many people. Thank you so much for saying all of that. I really cherish that. I mean, I have tried, you know, and I failed and I fucked up just like everyone has. But the fact that I am able to stay home with her is everything to me. And I would literally do anything for her. So every decision I make and every consideration I put forth of like what's next is just so that I can continue to stay with her and be present. And like, like, as you can see, she's with me on everything. And sometimes she like I'll be editing and she'll be sitting there watching me and she'll start to be like, eh, eh, eh. and I'm like, Jay, some parents have to go to work, like work, leave yeah. you. Like <laughs> yeah. The other night redacted was Do laughing. Do you know how good you have it? I know redacted was laughing. Cause I was sitting with her, we were working and I was like, I don't mean to invalidate your experience, Jay, but you should really consider this perspective. And redacted was like, what are you talking about to your baby? <laughs> and I'm like, I just want her to know, like, there's a, another option out there, but not in a mean way. But, you know, so it it has been really interesting, but I really have found that I don't have another option. Like, I have to, I have to be business minded in some sense, but also always staying true to, like, my why of why I started social media was never to be popular. It was always well, it was first very much to like show authenticity and then that transformed to like how much authenticity can I show? That's a van. And then how much how much authenticity can I show without giving away parts of myself I'm not willing to give away? And also now it's like this advocacy piece of like as I was learning more and more and more about like – diversity and equity and inclusion training that I was receiving and trauma-informed teaching training that I was receiving and just all of this stuff I was learning, I felt more and more this call to like bring that into what I was doing, whether it was like in a humorous way or whether it was very seriously and sometimes I've gotten a little too spicy and I've pissed people off because I've lacked nuance in some of my statements because that's just life but you know you're yeah you're navigating it so it's it's just a weird a weird journey that I definitely like you said did not expect to go on speaking of pissing people off I have a question that is twofold one were you ever no, uh, nervous about going into the political space on social media I find that I am often nervous to speak out on issues that are quote political um yeah so but I, I 
love what you do. So I wonder if you went through the same thing and just like faced the haters. No, I was never concerned about that. Even when I was doxxed, I wasn't concerned about that because I do not respect people who do not view human rights issues as such. People who think that race issues in our country and um, just the human decency that Donald Trump that Donald Trump did not have as a opinion. Um, I don't respect them. So I don't give a shit what they say about me or to me. I think it says more about them than it does about me. Um, never bothered me. It bothers me when people make statements about myself personally. Um, but like, honestly, the people that come at you for political shit are usually just like, you're ugly bitch. And you're like, get a better insult like I don't or they'll call you a slut and you're like thank you I don't know what to tell you like okay yeah (laughs) cool like it doesn't bother (laughs) me at all um so that is actually my favorite content to make because it feels the safest for me um because I know that if I'm gonna get hate about it I'm not gonna care (laughs) also the last topic that I wanted to cover with you was your eating disorder because I found so much comfort Uh, you were pregnant before me Mm -hmm. and I remember you eating in your car and it would be a whole bunch of different things it would be eating a bell pepper like an apple or it would be eating like pizza from a gas station or some random like place with ranch and I loved that you were doing that so publicly and being public about your relationship with food because I knew that pregnancy was going to be really, really hard for me in that regard. Um, and I and I always leaned on that. And you were kind of a model for me at that time. So I'm just curious about how your eating disorder um, formulated. I'm sure a lot of us have pretty similar stories from our childhood, where you're at now, what it was like not only during pregnancy, but immediately postpartum and now yeah. in your postpartum milf era. <laughs> yes, totally. Um, it really started from a place of control. Anytime that something would go badly in my life, the first time I really noticed my anorexia coming into my life was after my first bad, bad, bad breakup. I was anxious and I didn't want to eat. And then I I started to realize that I wasn't hungry anymore and that that was a part that was something that I could control. And then I started getting compliments, which is the most dangerous thing for me. It's people being like, wow, you look great. And then you're like, oh, I'm going to keep doing this. And then just I would gain weight and lose it, gain weight and lose it all through like my eating disorder. And when I was broke, when I was really poor, I would lose a lot of weight because I just didn't have, I didn't have money to eat. And you're fine to take a minute with her if you need to. She's okay. And anything you need me to ADR afterwards, I can send you a clean audio of, I can re-record anything. I don't know what that means. If there's any clips that you're like re-record this I can do that and send it back to you but hang on let me I don't know why why are we fighting mamas it's so interesting when you're talking she's quiet but she's like struggling I don't know she feels like she's having a conversation are you having a conversation Jay are your teeth first are we becoming friends (laughs) (laughs) um so it definitely started from a place of control. And then 
in my pregnancy era, it was kind of nice. It was kind of nice because, hang on, let me put her in the thing. That's cool. You want to sit in your office? Oh, we went to the animal fair. Did it, did it, you know, sit there. Oh, look at that. Ooh. And look at this. Wowee. Kazowie. <laughs> so I really, it started from a place of control and then just like made me feel like I was skinny, which I equated with goodness, which is really fucked up, but I just did and it wasn't right and I had to unpack that too. But you know, when you're getting compliments all the time, you're like, oh, this is this is what I should be, this is what I should look like. But then when I would get well, I would find myself not liking the way I looked as much. And I was like, oh, this is this is kind of fucked up. So when I got pregnant, it was such a liberative like a it was like liberation from it. It was like, I have to eat because I have a person in me. Yeah. So I was able yeah. to be like, oh, I can. And I didn't have to suck my tummy in. I, you never have to suck your tummy in. Oh, but yeah. I was like, oh, my tummy is free. Like I've been sucking it in since I was 13 years old. Like you can just like be. And it was really lovely. And I had already been in recovery at that time of getting pregnant because I wasn't ovulating and my doctor was like, you need to knock this shit off or you're not going to get pregnant. And I immediately was like, okay. And, you know, I was eating and I was doing what I had to do because I wanted her so bad and I wanted her to be well. Um, postpartum, I stopped posting all of my like intuitive eating stuff because I had relapsed. And that's like the simplest way I can put it is like, I relapsed and I wasn't producing breast milk because I wasn't eating and I couldn't eat. And if somebody tried to feed me, I would be hysterical and crying and unable to do it. And it was just like a really hard time because I was so in love with my baby. I wanted to just, I don't know. I was just really struggling. And I think the anxiety of the hormone crash postpartum also yeah. led to that same feelings of I'm anxious. So I don't want to eat. And it made it very easy for me not to, but you cannot make milk if you're not eating. And we already had like a hard breastfeeding journey in general and I was pumping but I couldn't – just nothing was – it was like dust. It didn't matter. No. So yeah. it was pretty tough. And it's also tough to be on the internet and people be like, are you not even trying to breastfeed? Or like, uh, why, what's wrong? Why? And then people be I like, only 10 that. people – only 10% of women can't breastfeed. And I'm like, okay, that's still a lot of fucking people. But also, you don't know me. You don't know what I'm going through. So how dare you, you know? Like, maybe I am part of that 10% asshole or 5% or whatever yeah. that statistic is that they say. But, you know, it's it's tough. And lactation consultants aren't always the most um, accepting and positive people. So I had some experiences where I felt very like, fuck, this is all my fault. And like, I'm fucking up my kid because I'm not eating. And then that, of course, puts more pressure on you. So you're less likely to be able to eat or recover. And recently, I finally started getting to like a really good place where like, I'm eating pretty regularly. Like before we called, 
talked. I had like an entire bag of salad almost. I'm going to finish it after. That's a big bowl of salad. I love. But like, you know, I'm finally getting back to intuitive eating and feeling really good about it. And I know that I'll always be anorexic. Like it's not something that's ever going to go away because even when you're in recovery, you're just like – you know, you're managing it, you're maintaining it. Yes. And I'm okay with that. Like, I, I think I maintain it well when I do maintain it. But I don't know. So that's kind of like where I am, where I've been, where I'm going with it. But yeah. I felt the same way about during pregnancy, being able to let my let my stomach hang and be complimented for it, which was wild. Because people oh, would be yeah. like, oh, baby. Mm-hmm. And I'm just letting it hang whereas before obviously that wasn't the same situation and I everything that you're saying I feel and have experienced just to a T I now no longer I mean it's one I mean all of it when you're anxious you don't want when we are anxious not everybody experiences anxiety this way but when thank god they don't but yeah don't have Right. I don't have an appetite. Food is the last thing on my mind. It would be hard to force down something. And Mm -hmm. then once you're going through that period of anxiety, not even just people in the general public complimenting you, but I don't know if you experienced this, but my parents would compliment me on what my body looked like during those times. So then I was not only getting validation from the outside world, I was getting validation from my parents and I was an only child. So am an only child so validation from my parents was crucial and that just continued the spiral every compliment I got the more thin that I wanted to get and and the worse everything else became and so now I'm sure you do this too I am very conscious about never complimenting anyone on changes in their body to the point where sometimes people were like well I would have really liked for you to appreciate all of the work that I put in for losing this weight, if they essentially, especially did it in a healthy way, but you never know someone's situation and what's going on behind closed doors that could lead to a change in their body either way. And it's so important to not make a comment on it because you never know if that's going to further worsen a situation that's going on that we don't understand. And then, yep. Go ahead. I was just going to, I thought it was my turn to talk and my child is playing a really funny song in the background. Continue, please. No, I wasn't going to say anything. Okay. I was it was like, around the office, what shapes can we see? Because it's her little office thing. That's so funny. And I was the like. Whole, the whole apparatus. She loves it. <laughs> she freaking loves it. But I was like, we're having the most serious conversation in the office, okay. shapes are everywhere. Okay, thanks, Jay. Um, absolutely. I am the same. I mean, I really am mindful about it. And I've definitely had friends who are trying to, like, lose weight for their wedding or whatever. And they don't even need to lose weight. They have their own, you know, they're all they're already like, I don't need to do it. I'm just doing it. And they're struggling. But, like, I don't want to compliment people on that because I just know how impactful that can be, especially if you're in an unhealthy place. And I know that's all I want. So like, as much as I want it, I am thankful when people don't compliment me for certain things because I'm just like, not good. It's just not good. Um, 
But it's nice to hear that you like, not nice. It's bad. I'm sad as you're my friend, but like, it's nice to not be alone in these experiences because it feels so lonely. I know. And there's also, in addition to feeling lonely, it also almost feels comforting sometimes to be in that space because in that space, you have control and you have praise. And what else could we want other than control and praise? God, I love those two things. They're like a drug. (laughs) Right? Right? Um, I think that, oh, and other than the salad, um, and Arun Arun has been really good with helping you stay on track, right? Our partners are just A+. Literally so wonderful. Hang on. She's orange, red, and green. Hello, blue and purple. Orange, red, and green. Hang on. You have to turn this on. That one. Susie, that one is let's have a colorful office party. (laughs) Da-da. Orange, red, and green. (laughs) That's hilarious. It's horrible. So, yeah, they have – he has been so wonderful and, like, so supportive and, like, feeding me and, like, just – even when I'm like, I don't want to eat, leave me alone. You know, he's still never like shies away from feeding me and supporting me. And like, I'm just so thankful that I found a partner who really, I don't know. He just, it's not even like he tries to say the right things. I just think he just does, you know, he just is He's just a good man. He is. I'm a very, we're both very lucky. And well, I, I'm grateful that you um, have this self-awareness now and you have a partner that is supporting you in that regard while you are raising a daughter. Oh my gosh, believe me. It's, the responsibility is huge and like I am always thinking about it and I'm really thankful that he has, you know, because the way that he engages with me about these sort of things is how she will internalize her own insecurities I guess and like he just is so respectful in the way that he speaks about me and obviously that he wouldn't even have to say anything to Jay but if 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 he would say anything about my body in a certain way in front of her she could very easily translate that to her own insecurities as she grows up and like the fact that that's just not even a worry in my mind is really comforting so grateful for that yeah i mean raising either raising either kind of baby comes with its own set of responsibilities absolutely you have really set yourself up for a positive and and successful future with jay thank you that's like the highest compliment that's all i could ever want you know oh it sounds like everything else is great but not that's the highest thing you know priority one i have five fun questions for you before we go okay i came up with them i came up with them while i was on a work <gasps> thrilling don't tell I won't. <laughs> okay one what is your ideal potato format <laughs> that is such a conditional question Susie. Oh, um yeah 
Well, no, 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 no. It's a wonderful question. I just need to think about my favorite. Of Well, I would have to say mashed potatoes, I think. I okay. think that's like, I could always go for a mashed potato. I've never been like, no, thank you. You know? What is the, I know that Arun's mom makes you a lot of food. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite dish that she'll make for you? Honestly, cauliflower and potatoes that she makes are so good. I don't know what they are. Why? They're just certain, the way that they're like spiced and the way that they are like together is so good. I love, but like you can never also, you can also never go wrong with like a doll sambar combo moment. Um, Just so good with rice and yogurt and pickle and like. It's like such a classic, but yeah, those so good, so good. Lucky, I know. What is the best? (laughs) What is the best coffee order for shotgunning? Mm. Cold brew, but not a black cold brew. It has to be delicious. So whatever that means to you, but like milky and sweet, so good. Easy to go down. Easy to suck faster. Hell yeah! And now I know Um, how to do it. What? Yeah, I need to see you put it into practice. I'm gonna. What is what is the most surprisingly delightful part of being a mom? I always was very confused when people would say that their child is their best friend. And I get it you know it's like they're a baby so they're not like the same as like your girlfriends or your husband and like the level of friendship that you obtain but I have been so thrilled by the way that I've been able to see her personality so fast I mean from the second that her like you like prenatal like melatonin wore off of her and she started to be more wakeful yeah I immediately was like she's hilarious and everyone was like what the hell are you talking about she would just like sit there And I was like, this potato is the funniest (laughs) person. But I like have been so excited to see her little personality, even as a baby, like come out. And I just wasn't expecting to see any personality. I just thought babies are baby, you know? (laughs) When did you, so you were seeing her personality from like the beginning. I I would say so. One month? Yeah, I would say so. On, and like on a very small scale but once I was able well, to like show it and like point to other people and they could see it they were like you were right you were right she's funny she's funny I yes that must be so much fun just mm-hmm. hang out with a little buddy and know their personality mm-hmm. okay last question how do you wind down after a stressful day I need details oh oh god see I love a nap I love a nap. I love a nap with my dog. So I would say like the ideal situation after a long day is I have wine and I get like sleepy and I have like a snack, whatever snack calls to me in the moment. And I put on my Brandy Melville sweatpants and like a big old shirt. And then my daughter goes with her dad and then I have the dogs come into my bed and we like watch something and fall asleep and it's got to be like a nap to the point where like I have like fabric lines and drool and then I wake up and it's just 
beautiful that and then I'm able to like tidy the house and like make my space like perfect for the next day and then for the ultimate ending to a long day I have to like be thinking of my treat for the next day so it's like okay I'm today tonight was wonderful but tomorrow I'm gonna get this coffee in the morning or like I bought this cake like two days ago I had leftover birthday cake and I was like tomorrow I get the birthday cake and that was thrilling so I'm really just like a lazy like I'm a very like sloth like person and it's just lovely to me to really lean into that, you know? Okay, well, I'm really glad that you identify as a sloth-like person. I am not one of those people, but when it comes to naps, I always felt very weird because my naps were like fabric lines on my face, three hours, and people would be like, oh, I take like a 45-minute nap, and I'm like, that is a sleep tease. I've never done that in that my life. That is when I am okay good because that's when I'm that's when I'm just starting to get comfy cozy and then it's it's work to wake up yes I do not I had a friend in college that was like you put your feet you elevate your feet I know you elevate your feet and then you put on a 26 minute timer and then when you wake up you're so refreshed and I was like that sounds awful I love you but that does not do it for me Agree. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me, Ariel. Please, for anybody that might not know who you are, shout yourself out. Where can people find you? Oh, you're so sweet. I am Mrs. Frazzled on all platforms. Mrs. Frazzled. And your pod. Oh, yeah. I have a podcast called Teacher Quit Talk <laughs> where we talk to teachers about why they left teaching and if they would ever go back. And it's hosted with the Such wonderful a, a Walmart parking lot, Miss Redacted, who is just seems to be universally loved and is hilarious. She is. She is very funny. Thank you so much for being with us. You are a light. You are comforting. You are a source of inspiration for me. I'm so proud of everything you've done and your authenticity. And I can't wait to see what you continue to do. You are a gem. You're a freaking gem. Thank you so, so much for having me. I'm like low-key sad that it's over, even though we've been talking for like two hours. I'm like, no, really? (laughs) (laughs) I'm so grateful that you enjoyed this time as much as I did. I did. It it felt like a hug. Yes, thank you so much. You have reset me for today. I hope you have the best day ever. What a compliment. And you have to show Arun. You have to show Arun how you shotgun. I'm gonna go do it right now. I'm gonna be like, and the baby's up, so I'm gonna be like, watch, watch how cool your mom is and your wife. Look upon me. I learned it. Yes. (laughs) Set them up as the audience. I will. Oh my gosh, Susie, thank you so (laughs) much. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week, for hanging out with us, for sitting back and listening to everything that we had to say. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, I would love if you followed this podcast, if you left a review on any platform that you listen on. It would mean the world to me. It would lift me up for the entirety of the week, and it would help other people find this podcast and maybe enjoy it and find value from it too. I hope you guys have the best day ever. Bye.